If you've enjoyed listening to Travel and Shit, consider becoming a patron. As a supporter at the $3.99 a month tier, you get access to episodes ad-free and one week early. At $5.99 a month, you're at the family tier. At this tier, you get ad-free and early access, same as in the supported tier, but you also get a free travel and shit tea after six months of support, 50% off digital products and downloads, and 20% off merch. You also get a free digital bundle that includes the mindfulness workbook, solo travel planning course, packing lists, past itineraries, suggested travel gear, and more. The podcast will still be free. You don't have to pay to listen. But if you want to hear the episodes as soon as they're released, and if you want to show me and the show some love, please consider becoming a patron. For more information, go to travelandshitpodcast.com slash subscribe. I made it around the world And came back with stories to tell Different places to call home Now I'm never on my own Dietations to my people hitting foreign nations Food, traveling, shit, moving to live Life in the sky, stories to give The ones who make it there and can make it back salutations and shit folks welcome 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 back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast travel and shit where i your host d carrie have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life this episode is about weird things that i found about found out about joshua tree after my trip so um Quiet as is kept, I only do like that much research on a destination. And by that much, I mean really not a lot. I do a loose, cursory overview of an area before I go there. I'm There's really nowhere in the world I don't want to go, so I'm kind of down to go anywhere. So when I look up an area before I go, it's mostly looking for um, accommodations, what neighborhood to stay in. Like I'm not looking into the history of things and the background and why different locations are popular. Somehow, for some reason, it always happens that I find out the most interesting things about destinations after I return home. And here we have this uh, mini series of episodes um, considering doing a longer one so far, looking at the analytics, um, you guys liked the last one and I'm hoping that you guys like this one as well, because this is kind of one of those, uh, types of episodes that is so easy for me to go down a rabbit hole of like research and reading and just curious curiosities. I am curious about a lot of things. And a lot of times after you've already been someplace, for me at least, in my experience, somehow I find out that after I've been someplace, my curiosity is a bit more peaked. And I think that it's because of a little bit more uh, familiarity. I've now been there. I've got my own feelings about a place and I want to see if it lines up with what my you know research shows that my experience was like, if that makes sense. These are quick. Don't want to be here for like the forevers diving into uh, little bits of information. And 
for the record, Google search. It's not even a, I'm no journalist. Okay. In hindsight, if there were, um, things that I could do for shits and gigs, I think the kid would look into being a journalist just because I feel like their ability to find information, to answer questions, unmatched. Personally, I dig it. Shout out to those of y'all that are actually um, out here doing the damn thing. So diving in, weird things about Joshua Tree. First, spiritual energy and vortexes. So I have a few friends that live out in LA. Um, One of my cousins, what's up to my baby, Joshi. Um, We're going to get him on an episode at some point. Um, But vortexes. So I hit up Nate. Shout out to Tay. Um, I likely will put a little trailer thing for you guys to pick out, to check out her episode here or whatever side it shows up on. Someplace on here. I'm going to do the little thing, right? Um, She is an actress. I met her when she was here in New York. We did a really great episode about her experiences of travel and how moving actually moving around a lot as a child helped her develop her identity of like, I don't want to say identity of self, her self-identity, her personhood, and the notion of moving to following your dreams. That's what that episode was about. Hit her up. Let her know I was going to be in the area. And by in the area, I mean like on the West coast, you know, you hit up your people like, Hey girl, how you been? You in the area? I'm out here. I'm out by you. You know, that little spiel, right? So hit up the homie. And she was telling me Joshua tree is, um, I don't know what the exact words that she used was what she, I don't know what the exact words she used were. Um, but I feel like it was something like it's very spiritual or it's very, um, sacred or so. And she suggested that I, ground myself, basically, you know, take your shoes off, put your feet in the sand, put your feet in the dirt and just really be present in the moment. So I considered doing that in the yard of the house that I was in. Cause we were staying in Joshua tree, but, um, it was fucking cold y'all. It was cold. And then by the time I got to the park, I was damn near scared to stay and anywhere that wasn't like officially on the uh trails that we were walking through i remember we were driving and we pulled over to the side of the road and i was we were taking pictures and there was a spot that i saw that had a pardon excuse me like a beautiful backdrop it was a really nice setting and i'm like right here this is where the light is coming beautiful angle this is where i'm gonna stand so i stood there I actually take what I've learned, pro tip, here's how to get the best pictures, especially if you have someone with you. Frame the photo first. Frame the photo, have the person come look. Hey, this is the photo that I want. Vertical, horizontal, uh, well, vertical, horizontal, whichever way you're uh, holding your device, camera, whatever. Frame the picture, the picture. Show the person, this is the photo that I want. This is where I'm going to stand. Or take the the picture of them the way that you want to see the picture. I find that that gets you better results. 
Um, and that works if you're that friend that takes the shots. I'm the friend that takes the money shots. Not even going to hold you. I take really good pictures. It is what it is. And um, I have been, you know, I love y'all because if you're listening, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I love y'all, but sometimes y'all just don't get the picture. You don't, you don't see the vision. You know what I mean? So pro tip, if you see what you want, frame it up, have the person come look at what you're seeing, point out where you're going to stand and ask them to capture that image. Um, so we were standing side of the road and by side of the road, like we had driven into the park, we weren't exactly at the destination that we were planning to stop at first, pulled over, located where I wanted to take the picture. And I was standing there and mind you, this is wilderness paved road. Don't let it fool you. Wilderness. I was terrified of snakes, particularly of the rattle variation. They do have rattlesnakes in um, Joshua Tree. I want to say that they hibernate or something. We read someplace that for some reason, they're not like that big of a deal during the time we were there because we were there in January. It's cold. So, um, and cold by California standards, not by New York standards where I am from. So it was a nice, uh, somewhat change of pace because not going to lie, we've knock wood been having a pretty decent winter. Won't particularly say mild, but we've had maybe a month of like really, really cold weather, but not too bad, um, precipitation, like not a lot of snow. Anyway, I digress clearly because we do that here often um terrified i'm standing here i'm looking i checked all around me you know what i mean nothing right there at my immediate feet and was still terrified of something kind of like crawling out jumping out um flying out all the different ways you can relocate yourself i was worried about uh took the picture pushed it the fuck on. Now the actual trails in the park did not bring me that level of, um, angst. I wasn't really worried about it because I know that they are more heavily trafficked. They are designated areas. So if not for me, there have been thousands, if not more people who have walked the same trail over the past, um, damn math's not my strong suit. I want to say, according to one of the websites that I came across, Joshua Tree only really was established in like 94. So um, if that is true, since then, plenty enough people have walked the trails that I've walked to somewhat designate them as like wilderness safe, in my personal opinion. At that point, there aren't going to be um, any, barring any, catastrophic or really monumental changes in necessarily, I'd say maybe like topography or food source, water source, any of those kind of things outside of those things, I would absolutely deem someplace that has been a marked and very visible and heavily populated trail in the woods, wilderness of whatever ecosystem 
to be relatively safe at that point. Like the larger of the wild animals have, it's enough people in the area that they're not really fucking with it for me. I feel usually safe in those areas. Um, but I absolutely would not take my shoes off. It was not even a question. I didn't want any surprises because I got a whole ass life to come home to where, um, I'd rather, you know, figure out a self-help book, therapy, something to ground and channel myself versus risking my feet in a national park. So that didn't happen, but the idea was somewhat planted. I ended up having a little personal moment at the end of the trip on the, um, before we jumped back in the car to go, I personally thanked Joshua Tree for a really, you know, nice trip and just had a grounding moment as best as possible outside of removing any clothing. But according to, is it Bay Area? Oh, cute. Bay Area and beyond. And it's B-A-E area. Um, They designated uh this part of the california desert is said to hold magical powers according to the locals it may lead tourists to have unexpected insight and clarity while visiting um it's known to have i want to say 18 vortices on the land and a vortex plural being vortices vortex or vortexes are well i don't continuity error if you're saying vortexes, oh, well, that was part of a sentence. Disregard that. Vortices is what I'm going to go with are places. No, because vortexes seems more reasonable. Anyway, whichever the fuck it is. The shits are places of increased electrical energy points that can be picked up on certain scientific devices. Vortexes are said to magnify anything that is placed inside of it, whether that be emotional, spiritual, physical, or mental. So Joshua Tree, according to many of the locals and many people who are just familiar with the area, consider the place to be a spiritual and very um, woo-woo, if you will, destination. Um, The, I don't want to say legend or myth, But the story of how Joshua Trees got their name is supposed to be because of the Mormons, um, the whole traversing the lands, and they saw the tree, and similar to, I want to, I guess it was Joshua. Don't ask me if it was New or Old Testament, but in the Bible, Joshua hands up to the sky. They apparently uh, used it as a symbol of... um, some religious significance and it's not just in the Mormon religion. There are also Christian references to the Joshua tree as well. I want to say that it was something about a predecessor of no, a something after Moses. I guess it may have been Joshua. I am not a uh, reader or scholar of the Bible, as you can tell. But um, there is some spiritual and religious religious connection for Joshua Tree for some people. All right, so that, oddly enough, wasn't one of the things that 
like popped up the most in terms of Joshua Tree or even that held my interest for the longest. I'm going to go to one other thing and then jump into what actually held my interest the longest. And as always, check the description box for any links. If for any reason I miss a link in the description block and this the description box, shoot me an email and I will get that to you. Um, but, and this is for any episode. If you're listening to an episode and I said I was going to put something in the description box and somehow I missed it, hit me up. Dcarry at travelandshippodcast.com and I will do my absolute best to just get you whatever information um, I mentioned or that you're interested in. So second little fact, ghost towns. So there's actually a ghost town in Joshua Tree. It is called Eagle Mountain, California. And it is a modern day uh, ghost town in the California desert in Riverside County, founded in 1948 by industrialist Henry J. Kaiser. Town is located at the entrance of the now defunct Eagle Mountain Iron Mine, once owned by the Southern Pacific Railroad, then Kaiser Steel, and located on the southeastern corner of Joshua Tree National Park. And that's from the Wikipedia page for Eagle Mountain, California. Um, the town's fully integrated medical care. This was interesting that I found. The town's fully integrated medical care system, similar to other Kaiser operations in California, was the genesis of the modern day Kaiser Permanente, uh, Permanente Health Maintenance Organization. So that was interesting. But... Eagle Mountain experienced a resurgence in 80s. Oh, so basically it was a little town. It was a mine town. They were out there, did their thing, built it up, had schools, uh, grocery stores, uh, medical facilities, post office, the whole shebang. And um, I guess maybe not, unfortunately, per se. Uh, But they ended up, oh no, I pasted the same shit twice. Um, Oh, I'll get to that in a second. So they experienced a resurgence in 86 when the California Department of Corrections proposed the placing. So basically the mines closed. Things changed. Niggas wasn't doing the same shit in industry. And so they had no need for those mines. Initially, I think I read something about they were scaling back operations. People stayed but then they ended up bringing in some people from another town after reducing the number of workers at the mine. And then that just wasn't uh, consistent. It wasn't um, sustainable. So they ended up just not doing the whole mine situation and closed the mines down. Eagle Mountain experienced a resurgence, however, in 86, when the California Department of Corrections proposed placing a unique privately operated prison for low risk inmates in the town. The shopping center in the town, there was a shopping center, um, was converted in 88 into the Eagle Mountain Community Correctional Facility, which operated until state budget problems and a fatal riot led to the closing of the prison in December, 2003. I was a senior in high school at that point. So like, go figure. It was a viable town. And now it's not. So it's one thing to think of, say, 
a ghost town and think of an actual mining town because it was a mining town, right? But they ended up having an entire correctional facility there. And I'm hard pressed to think that the entire area stayed just the correctional facility. I would like to assume that maybe they didn't like build, I'm certain they didn't build like schools and new um, churches and all the other kind of stuff because corrections, the corrections officers are going to go home. I'm certain they live somewhere relatively close, right? So it's no need to develop an entire community around it. However, in 2003, you would still think that there would be some type of, I can't really think that I'm going to see structures or like, it's just the idea of a ghost town. I'm thinking desolate, absolutely, um, I want to say, um, decimated, but I feel like that's a little too extreme. Um, Ooh, it was right there. Um, like weathered. Uh, worn down, um, good enough of a, de- of a description. That is what I assume a ghost town to be. Now, after the correctional facility closed, I don't know that they ever like removed those buildings. So in my head, there's a whole ass jail just sitting there unused. Um, but they... Thought they were going to reopen it in 2005. Apparently, it never did. Also of note, which I thought was really cute, was that there were quite a few, not quite a few, but there was about six or seven maybe movies that were filmed out there. And of those movies, the ones I recognized were Constantine, Unknown, and Tenet. The one with Denzel Baby. That one, you know, his son uh, was his name. Mike, um, I don't remember the man's name, but Denzel Washington's son, that man, he was in Tenet. But I've watched Constantine numerous times and I'm trying to, boom, I think I know exactly what, like most of the movie was filmed. No, I'm thinking Legion. But apparently there was some part of Constantine that was filmed there. Wow, cool. Now that I'm thinking, damn, I want to know where Legion was filmed. I got to look up if I'm, I got to look up whether or not I'm thinking the right movie. The movie, I think some of y'all know which one I'm talking about. It was similar to Constantine where there are a lot of like demons, biblical angels, the whole shebang, but they were at a diner. Am I conflating movies? I'm going to get into it on my own, but. There are actually movies that I've heard of filmed out there. Unknown is actually in my, um, not thread, but you know, the, the, my movies, like the things that you save on like prime and all that shit. That's there. Definitely want to check that out. Uh, basically a bunch of guys wake up. I think they're con artists or the, uh, some kind of criminals or whatever, but they just randomly wake up someplace, have no idea how they got there. And they're trying to figure out what the fuck happened. So that's on the list, but that was filmed there also. Road trips give you the flexibility of taking the most control of your itinerary. No airline delays or cancellations. You can sit in your own germs and move at your own pace. Whether you're looking for family friendly or something romantic, history and heritage, or a foodie's delight, I've got you covered. Choose your trip based on the vibe or the distance you feel like driving. This pack includes DC, Philly, Hartford, Burlington, and Montreal. 
All destinations are a few hours from New York City, so they're perfect for anyone along the East Coast to tap into. The download also includes a packing list, pre-trip car prep guide, and a playlist of travel and shit road trip content. These itineraries are perfect for travelers who enjoy having a plan with space for spontaneity. Head over to travelandshippodcast.com slash travel resources slash road trip to download your copy and take the stress of planning and packing off the table while you focus on the road. Um, what was most interesting and what stood out the most to me, the largest rabbit hole that I fell down, so many links to different interesting little uh, stories in particular, I guess, uh, which is sad to phrase it that way, but missing people. So national parks, unfortunately, tend to be trying to find the best way to put this, but I know when I was in Grand Canyon, the friend that I had taken the trip with, we were walking through the park and he had stopped and asked a ranger who had just received a radio call and was in the middle of trying to figure out what this person was saying. And so in my head, it's just like, so you don't notice that he's in mid-conversation, like, and you're interrupting to ask your silly question, but he had asked him, how many people die here? And I don't remember the ranger's, like, exact words, but it was something like, well, you don't want to know. You could look it up. So I low-key looked it up, and it's a lot. For the Grand Park. For the Grand Park. For the Grand Canyon. Joshua Tree... I don't know how many deaths um, or missing persons cases there are as a whole, but two of them stuck out, uh, stood out or stuck out. So I love, 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 love many of the shows on the, the podcasts on the Audio Chuck Network that is created and run by Ashley Flowers, who is the host of Crime Junkie, one of my personal favorite podcasts to listen to. And they, well, she has a show called Park Predators. Park Predators is all about the horrible things and the missing people, the murders and all that jazz that happen in our country's national parks. And there is an episode called The Child, where they were talking about the disappearance of Laura Bradbury. I feel like they did eventually identify some remains as her, uh, but I listened to the episode. It's a really sad episode, but not more sad in particular than any other missing, missing persons podcast episodes you may listen to. But um, she was a toddler. I think she was like three years old. She went to the bathroom with her brother. The family came to Joshua Tree. They were familiar with the area. They'd been there a few times, went to a campground and they were, they got there, I guess a little bit before, you know, I don't say a little bit before dusk, but they knew the family knew that they were going to be out of daylight soon. So the dad and the family was, you know, trying to put together the tent campsite to get them situated for the day. The, Oldest child was eight. I believe the missing child, Laura, 
was about three and the parents had recently had a baby about five months. Mom is nursing the five month old dad is putting together the campsite and the eight year olds like I got to use the bathroom. Granted the family can see the bathrooms from where they are, maybe a hundred yards, a hundred feet. Yes. Feet and yards. There's a difference, but visible. They can see them. So the dad's like, just go ahead, go, go to the bathroom. I'm going to finish what I'm doing because they can see where the kid's going. Right? So the brother goes to the bathroom, little sister trails along. The little brother says that he can see her shadow while he's outside the door, whatever that situation is. Woo, woo, woo. All of a sudden girl goes missing. Family goes on a search, never find her. Years go by. I feel like somebody found remains. And at some point they were able to, um, time had progressed and what do you call it? technology had also progressed it had advanced and they were able to use samples from the mother the father to identify that it was their baby unfortunately um sadly the mom had died i want to say in 2001 i don't know why that date stands out to me but i feel like it was around 2001 mother had passed from some variation of cancer before she found out that they did find her daughter. The dad basically went on like a crusade, wrote a book along with his father-in-law. So I'm assuming it is the wife that he, I don't think I remember anything about them divorcing or separating or anything like that. So I'm assuming that when the wife died, like he didn't remarry. So when they refer to the father-in-law that that is the father of the wife that he was with when the daughter disappeared, like the mother slash wife of Laura Bradbury. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't think that the father-in-law and reference, like the father-in-law that he wrote the book with, I don't think that this is a father-in-law that is anyone different than the grandfather of the daughter. So he wrote a book, something father's, don't remember what it is. I'm going to include the link to the Park Predator episode. So if you are so inclined to look it up, feel free to check that out. But um, episode, interesting enough. Apparently, very well known. And I want to say um, this was in the 80s because the I want to say it was in 84 that she went missing because I was able to, I was thinking about it like, oh, I wasn't even born. I was so close. So 84. Um, but yeah, Laura Bradbury missing early eighties and they eventually found her remains. Um, so there was another story that just kept popping up and initially I wasn't concerned at all, but I just kept seeing his name. What did it for me was this random website that I found on a Reddit page and I am very new to Reddit. Like this is probably the fourth or fifth Reddit thread that I've read. And like, I like just joined Reddit so that I could arrow up, I guess that's thumbs up or like, I don't know, but, um, very new to Reddit found a website on there because there was a this one's going to be in the description too, because this one was really fucking freaky. There's a thread of people who have had weird and mysterious experiences at Joshua Tree. So I didn't get very far until I stumbled upon a blog called, 
the other hand, no, just called otherhand.org. In that article, I found, not article, but in that blog post that I was reading about the missing person that I'm discussing now, haven't given you his name, don't think you missed it. Um, In the article written by that gentleman, I saw a link to a New York Times Magazine article. Turns out that article referenced back to the gentleman that wrote the blog post that I'm talking about now otherhand.org initially when I read it because on his blog or whatever no photo like in terms of like the website that it's on there are like imagine just going to travel and podcast.com right and finding no photos at all just text just straight content you've got a header and content that's all the website is and so I'm scrolling through and I'm thinking like who is this? Is this like a virus? Am I going to have a virus on my computer after? Like, what the fuck is going on? I have no clue. Like what exactly this platform is. There's nothing here. There's no piece of information. Then I went to his, uh, New York Times. Like he linked to something written in the New York times magazine went there and they referenced this gentleman and his blog. So I'm like, Oh, so he's a real person and this isn't just some random that decided to insert themselves into a story. So the missing person that I'm talking about is Bill Owasco. He, oh, I didn't even write down the, um, oh wait, what's the year that he disappeared? Oh, of course this doesn't. Oh, here it is. This was this gentleman, 2010. So in 2010, Bill Owasco traveled alone from his home in suburban Atlanta to Joshua Tree National Park, where he planned to hike for several days. He was 66, an avid jogger, Vietnam vet, and a longtime fan of the, uh, the Desert West. Blah, blah, blah. He'd been in the area familiar with the outdoors. And this is coming from uh, NewYorkTimes.com. This is the New York Times Magazine, and they did a piece. Um, so he's from Georgia, told his girlfriend, Mary, hey, girl, going to Georgia. I mean, California, doing this little hike. And he even left an itinerary for her in terms of where he was supposed to go. And back in... Oh, wait, let me see if I can find the author of that weird website. No, not Melson. Mahood, here we go. Here's his name. Tom Mahood. He is actually a former volunteer with the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit and a retired civil engineer. Tom is the one that wrote the random blog post about the guy, Bill. And Tom's blog post was quite interesting, by the way. He has a couple of other things on his website, uh, on his blog, I guess. And interesting guy, interesting guy. I'm enjoying uh, his writings, if nothing else. And Tom basically said, well, I don't know if it was Tom, but one of these quotes, I'm pretty sure it came from the article by Tom was, 
how can we have so much information about where he was going to go or at least where he said he was going to go? Why can't we find him? So I was trying to figure out like why Bill's story was interesting at all. Like what about it? People go missing all the time, B. All the time. But what about this person in particular has it that has spanned years, decades even. And so another quote from that article was, this makes the search for Bill one of the most, oh, so they, in Tom, the random, right? In Tom's blog post that he was writing about the missing person, Bill, he was saying that he did really detailed work of documenting over 30 different occurrences where he, on his own, totally unrelated to any um, official organizations or groups or anything, tried to help in the search for this missing person, Bill. Um, Tom was involved with one official search and then ended up going back on his personal time on his own unaffiliated because the official search only lasted like two weeks, but then you have a lot of, you know, outdoors people, armchair detectives, just the whole shebang of people that are interested or curious about this case that decide to get themselves involved. The homie Tom's one of them apparently. So he ended up detailing over 30 different individual um, occurrences where he, along with other people that he is affiliated with, went to the park to search for this person. And they have extensive GPS data, pictures. Um, They did the damn thing. They did their best, did their part. And apparently this guy, Tom, was responsible for finding two German tourists in the Mojave desert, like a season before or a year before, or I don't know what the time frame was, but he ended up being very instrumental in finding two lost, um, what do you call them? Uh, tourists in the Mojave desert, which is one of like the bookends to Joshua tree. So he, and all of his details and the people that he was, actually affiliated with that helped do the unofficial search for this guy, Bill, their efforts helped to make the search for Bill Owasco, one of the most geographically extensive amateur missing person searches in U S history. Maybe that's why this ended up being one of those uh, cases that many people are familiar with or that, and by many, I mean, the shit just kept popping up. Like I kept seeing his name, but I just, I didn't have any point of reference. So I'm just like a random, but I think that that is why it's one of those really interesting cases. And if nothing else, Tom and his writing has piqued my interest. Thankfully, however, after all of that, they ended up actually finding his remains. I was so like face first into the disappearance and the different articles that was coming across from that. And then just like the other like weird things Tom has on his blog post that I didn't bother pulling up the information about, uh, finding bill, but they finally found him. Well, I want to say, was it 20 years? 
maybe 20 years because this was 2010, right? So no, it couldn't be 20 years. So what the fuck was I? Where is that? Now I got to pull it up. Nope. Where we go. 12 years missing. That's why two is stuck in my hair. 12 years missing in Joshua in Joshua Tree. Yeah, he was found. I'm looking at an article from February of this year where body has been found in Joshua Tree National Park with ID on the remains indicating it is Biloasco. And that was posted about a year ago. Yeah, February. This was another Reddit post, apparently. Yeah, there's a little bit more. They mentioned Tom. Yeah, see? This is one of those things, rabbit hole. I don't know. It's just like, you'd be surprised. Some of the things that pique your curiosity when you dive into things. Pro tip. So, if you aren't familiar with the realm of diving into things that you generally think you won't be interested in, but surprise, you actually are interested in, you're going to find a trove of fucking treasures. Every once in a while, Google, look into, read, listen to something about a topic that you don't think you're actually interested in, and you'd be fucking surprised. And I am consistently surprised every time that somehow and some way I always find an angle that interest, not always, but I very frequently find an int- uh, an angle or an interest or something that stands out that I want to pay more attention to, or that pulls me along for a ride down a, a path or around a corner that I did not see coming. But, um, so the two missing people that I did mention, Bill and Laura, they have been found Um, but there have been dozens and dozens of other people that have gone missing even as recently as this year. So, uh, in an effort to not make this a super long episode, Google, Google it. I will also include a medium blog post that had... It was, and this one was a more recent one. This medium post that is opening now was written, all right, July 26, 21. So that was the most recent one. I don't know if I meant, I mentioned that it was this year, but this is the most recent um, one other than where they mentioned bill i think being found but um yeah that one has more mention of more recently lost people and you know the efforts uh, on finding them and discovering more about these missing peoples and their story so joshua tree you know outside of like When you think of weird, a lot of times you think of like, oh, that's quirky. Like there's a crochet museum in Joshua Tree somewhere, right? The Noah Purifoy Outdoor Museum of Assemblage Sculpture. I believe that is the full name. A lot of people think that that is weird. There are tons of, you know, um, 
unordinary or extraordinary little Airbnbs or mini accommodations that are scattered throughout the desert. I think I heard of like a uh, rocket ship looking ones or whatever little things out there in Joshua tree, right? That of course, interesting, weird. when you think of weird, but my spirit, I happen to be a huge fan of true crime. Um, crime thrillers, uh, any of the whodunits of the variation of figuring things out, solving things. As a kid, I wanted to be a detective. Um, I had a little mini detective agency. Shout out to the family who let me fingerprint them and dust for prints around the house. Love you, girl, because adult me can't see. Well, no, I'm partially lying. I was going to say I can't see like a nine-year-old like just putting that dust everywhere in the house. You know what I mean? I think I would give in and just clean up after the kid. But thank you, girl, for, I appreciate you so much, Ma, for letting me run around the house, print people, and put that dust. Who knows where I put it? But those are the things that really interest me. Something about the peopleness of it all. Because when I think of people, I can absolutely, I'm a storyteller in my mind. I'd say in life. But I always think of the story behind it. So for me, the weirdest things are the true things, the things where people actually are actively and like very presently involved and the main story, like UFOs are great. It's a dark sky area. It's supposed to, Joshua Tree is supposed to be known for being a uh, UFO hotbed, um, things of that nature. The vortices, which the vortexes, whichever is actually correct. Those I also believe in. I am absolutely your woo-woo metaphysical boo. Um, Crystals, stones with it, right? Believe in all of that. Can say that I did have a feeling of peace, but I don't know that I would necessarily attribute that to a vortex or anything. I personally just really enjoy being outside and I, it is very much so in line with me to think a general location or a place for a favorable, safe kind of trip. So can't really say that, um, that part really stood out to me per se in my personal experience of it. But then in the look back of it all, in the review of it all, the missing persons, the mysterious disappearances and the way that a lot of random strangers would tap in and really help and assist in finding these people that stands out the most to me. For me, it's the peopleness of it all. Um, so that's it for this episode. I enjoyed digging into the unknown things of Joshua tree that In hindsight, I think I'm kind of glad I didn't know before I went there. This one wasn't anything too strange or anything too weird. Ghost town, not going there. Uh, Missing people, God willing, never me. Also, buddy system, got my baby with me, Um, the boyfriend. And what was the first one I mentioned? Yeah, spiritual energy, ghost towns, missing people. Honestly, if I had to uh, fuck around and find out, It'd be the spiritual energy. 
but also know that that can go wrong. Maybe a lot of, maybe some of the missing people tapped into a vortex that didn't have good energy or the vortex pulled from what they were feeling because a vortex is known to amplify what is in its space. So if these people were feeling anything or experiencing uh, emotions that were maybe feeling lost or distant of some measure contributed to their disappearance. I don't know, but I am curious. So um, me personally, I'm going to dive back into these articles and I'm definitely going to drop them into the description box. So fall into the rabbit hole with me. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear about any of your creepy or weird stories that you may have experienced in a national park. And I'm curious is as to, have you been to Joshua Tree? Let the kid know. All right, y'all. Bye.